welcome to Revive Mercy Podcast. Today we are talking about family and recovery. Families can be the most supportive component to one's recovery or the least. Today I have a new guest. Her name is Ruth and I'm very excited to have her and for her to share insight. Thank you, Ruth, for coming on and sharing, um, discussing this really. You know, this is kind of, um, I've been trying, especially to get closer to the holidays to always address the family component when it comes to recovery. Thank you, Ruth, for coming absolutely. on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Well, this, I always begin with a disclaimer for um, those who are in crisis around the U.S. Uh, the 1-800-273-8255 is National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. But I do encourage those who are listening, because I know a lot listen outside of the United States, try to find what's available in your area. I know it's not always ideal, but support comes in many different ways. <laughs> so with that being said, I start out with a quote, Ruth. I know people say things better than I do. So <laughs> let's just go with Anthony Lacone. I love what, how he says this. He says, everyone needs a house to live in, but a supportive family is what builds a home. Absolutely. What comes to mind? Well, I mean, you need that sense of home. You know, that means you have support. Um, mm -hmm. A house is just a house, you know, figuratively and uh, literally, you can be under the same roof. And if you don't have that support, you don't have people encouraging you and helping you in your recovery, you're not going to recover as quickly. So, you know, I, I, that's how I see the difference between house and home. Yeah, I think definitions and words are very interesting. You know, when we think about house, you know, it sounds so fundamentally small, but there's something different about saying home. You know, mm -hmm. it sounds that there's just not just a building. There's more. In recovery, unfortunately, we kind of, you know, house and a place to stay. And physically, you know, um, with some of the people I work with, uh, can often be an issue. Unfortunately, sometimes with that being said, it, it gets kind of overlooked, the emphasis of a home. Yes. Um, you know, depending on your social economic status, families often scramble to find family a residency, which is understandable. I'm not minimizing that at all. But the social component, the, the support that comes without just walls and the roof <laughs> is also very important. Ruth, I want to ask you, you know, as you know, you know, when we're when I was deciding uh, where, what, you know, every new guest, I'm like, what would be the best fit? And I remember re reading a little bit what you wrote me and I thought, you know, this would be the best. So, Ruth, what has been your experience when in and the impact in providing a house versus a home regarding uh, recovery. Um, what has been your experience? Well, for me personally, um, you know, a little bit about my background. I was diagnosed with uh, bipolar two depression about 15, 16 years ago. And, you know, I, I, I am married, uh, had three small children at the time. And uh, unfortunately my husband and I were not in the same place. Um, when it came to understanding what this disease was. So for me, I didn't have that support that I needed to begin the recovery. So it was, we were under the same roof, but it was, it was difficult because there was no sense of home. There was no sense of support. There was no sense of encouragement there. And that made a difference in how um, my recovery went, which, you know, in the beginning, it didn't go at all. So <laughs> yeah. uh, once that began to change and the house became more of a home, 
that's when um, the recovery started accelerating. You know, I, um, one thing, uh, especially some of my, um, I do a lot of groups, and um, one of the biggest concerns or complaints, I would say, is that they're not feeling heard. You know, it, a lot of times um, people struggling with mental illness or substance use or any kind of recovery, they don't feel heard. Like, like, let's just be honest. Recovery is messy. Yes. It can be very messy. And I remember even my own recovery. Um, a lot of times I was short-sighted. I'm like, why can't they get it? Mm-hmm. And it's not that easy. We are so complicated. And at the same time, it's not entirely them getting it. Because they don't. they won't truly get it but they can also support without getting it. It's like sometimes we kind of have this emphasis that they have to understand every little minute detail of what's going on. And I find that less useful as opposed to just being a supportive network. Like you said, you could be in the house and be very much alone. You know, I could be around a lot of people and feel alone. You know, being present with someone is kind of rare nowadays. Being like, you know, I, I I try to practice this myself, but you know, I have a phone and I look at it at times. Someone's talking to me in front of me. I'm like, I'm like, why am I doing that? I have to stay present, and a lot of times, um, I I, I have to active actively practice that. Um, absolutely, absolutely. We, you know, and, and that was one of the things that I had to come to terms with. It was the fact that you know my husband didn't understand me. You know, mm-hmm. my kids were there, but you know. They're a lot younger. They, they, that wasn't their part of their world. So no one understood me, but mm-hmm. I had to be okay with that. And I had to, be, you know, they had to come to terms with, okay, I don't know what they're going through, but if I love them enough, mm-hmm. I'm just going to be there for them. So, you know, it was kind of a little bit of give and take on both ends. And I think that that's where we have to um, meet because to be honest, you know, even if, two people have bipolar it's Mm -hmm. gonna look different for those two people so there is no cookie cutter there is no okay textbook it's everything is customized everything is individual so even if i have it and you have it Mm -hmm. it's gonna look different so we're not gonna really say okay i understand not a hundred percent but i have to be willing to be open to at least love you enough to say okay whatever you're going through i'm here for you and I like that because a lot of times we don't even think about or even talk about it, the idea of it's okay that people don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, like, remember the character of those family members, <laughs> those people that are really close. Like, it's a lot to ask for. You know, for me, being a, being a, being one who went through, who's going through recovery and also mm-hmm. working with people who are recovering is very different. Uh, defining words and defining, creating a safe place is absolutely important. It's hugely yes. important. Yes. Um, there's a lot of smart people out there, Ruth. <laughs> they know a lot of things, <laughs> but there's not a lot of wise people. You know, it's right. not knowing stuff. It's knowing when to say it. Unfortunately, yes. um, we don't allow people or even ourselves a lot of times to process things. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going through trauma or we're going through whatever we just want to we want certainty where there isn't a lot of times we just kind of kind of immerse ourselves in the unknown that we don't know and i feel like you said 
recovery is different. Everyone, if I had, you know, if I was struggling with, even with the same thing as you, it will look different. Yes. And that's the whole point. There's this, you know, it's good to have this camaraderie, like people similarity. That's why there's support groups. You know, right. they're like you know, there's there's certain similar themes, but we are all very different. And I think that's why I'm going to um, shifting over to this idea of holistic approach. Ruth, um, it's been talked a lot about recently, and I'm, I've I've read a lot about this. Um, but what what impact has a holistic approach played in your own life? Because it's different for everyone. So, oh, absolutely, and I, I will tell you that it has made the world of difference. You know, um, when I started my recovery, um, the first thing my doctor did was put me on medication, and rightly so, because we needed to come to a place where. I understood what was, you know, happening with my body, but I was not submitting to the um, the treatment or the recovery process. So it just became another pill on top of another pill. And I still yeah. had my bad eating habits and I didn't exercise and any of that. And, you know, when I started exercising, when I changed my diet, I mean, to be honest, you know, that was the biggest thing you know there were things that i had to take out of my diet there were things that i had to change about my habits in order to start seeing change mm -hmm. and it requires discipline i'm not you know i'm not gonna lie to people and say oh it was easy you know there's no there's no one and done there's no magic pill there's none of that you know if, if you have a disease if you have something that you're recovering from it's going to require discipline but if you can just apply a little bit of that, you know, if you can make changes, you know, I, I hated going to the gym, but I discovered I love running. So mm -hmm. if I can go run two and a half miles in the mm -hmm. morning when it's cool, I don't have to go to the gym and I'm doing what I need to do. So, yeah. you know, you find what works for you and you find the best way to do it. And I can proudly say now that I am off of medication and yeah. I am doing well because yeah. of all the changes that i've made yeah and like um i uh, my wife and a lot of my friends close to me would say i say this a lot i'm annoyingly intentional <laughs> and um um sometimes it rubs people the wrong way <laughs> but at the same time um what i find with that is um it helps me kind of retrospectively kind of look at what's going on around me for me it's not about being the first or knowing first. It's about connections. A lot of times it is about connections. And um, um, one thing I wanted to share was that um, when it comes to um, finding your holistic approach, finding what works for you, um, I feel um, the urgency sometimes we put on ourselves. Like it has, like we have these only if statements that really account to nothing you know i i, I do yeah it is takes discipline but i also i, I kind of look at how we value ourselves if someone does not value themselves at all how much are they going to go and eat well right because it wouldn't matter it wouldn't like what you think how you feel about yourself will translate how you treat yourself and that also regards to your physical oh, and i feel it's not like a quick fix and i think a lot of people want that quick fix certainty but you know even when you do maintain you know there's levels of stages of recovery and one of the last phase uh, stages is maintaining but i tell people 
It's a journey. So you may be maintaining, but what's the one constant in life? Things change. So you might have to go back to the planning and then the the action portion, and then you go back to maintaining. But that doesn't shift what your value is. And I've talked about value a lot in this podcast um, because I found that sometimes that's sometimes a root, and that's where we're going to lead into. But before we do, I want to kind of, you know, you uh, <laughs> you have a. Uh, can you first uh, explain? A lot of people, or I don't assume this, but could you share what um, your when it comes to bipolar two? What does that mean to you? What what is that diagnosis? What 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 kind of things that would um. I don't know, be digestible to someone who doesn't know what bipolar 2 is. I'm not going to assume anyone, everyone who's listening does. And uh, whatever you like. And also your new book, right. When Love is Angry. You know, angry is always like, oh, you can't be angry. But honestly, I feel it's just like I, um, I'm I'm stressed because I'm stressed. You know, oh, I can't right. be stressed. I'm, it, it doesn't help. So a lot of times anger is just a response to something that needs to change. So yes. uh, Ruth. Go ahead, share. <laughs> well, thank you for asking that because I don't. I think a lot of people do assume that uh, they understand what that is. Bipolar two is a uh, a mood disorder. It is um, bipolar itself. It is a uh, the disorder is where you go from a high high to a low low. So and it can range in different people. So um, you go from manic episode where you are just high you are just you know impulsive you are doing things that you normally wouldn't do to depressive lows where you are um, you know you could be to the point of suicide so mm-hmm. um, bipolar 2 um, you have at least one manic episode in your life but mostly you have depressive episodes yeah so um, I was diagnosed with the bipolar 2 um, what I didn't know was that I'm a rabid cycler um, I mm-hmm. found that out about five years ago uh, so most people have about two, maybe three episodes a year. I was having up to six episodes a year. So for every two, every two months for two weeks, I would have an episode. And um, that was really hard to deal with. I mean, <laughs> seriously, yeah. I say that with a little chuckle right now because um, mm. I'm in a better place. But it was I didn't understand what was going on. And my husband didn't understand what was going on, the way I already said. And, you know, it, it took us a lot of years uh, to come to that place where we could have an open conversation about it. You know, we're both uh, Christian and we both come from that background that says, hey, you know, why are you dealing with this? Why don't you just pray about it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes you need a little extra more than that. You know, yeah. you need people around you. You need the medicine. You need to do more than just say, okay, well, I prayed about it and God didn't do anything. So um, when love is angry, is uh, a it's our biographical journey. So yeah. it was, um, it, it was our uh, journey of how we came to that place after my diagnosis, and then, you know, how we responded to it. Because we both, you know, I, I'm not gonna put it all on him. He was more hands off, and I was like, "Hey, I need attention." Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, about five years ago, I was like, "I'm, I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore." I had um, an episode where I just kind of fell out in mm-hmm. front of, in a very public way and I was like God I can't do this anymore I need help 
And mm-hmm. that's when he started changing my life and changing my marriage. And, you know, just to kind of go back to something you said earlier, you know, it, it's it, it's not just about the discipline, because what happened was I had a very low self-esteem. I had a very low view of myself mm-hmm. and I was always begging God, God, take this away. Why? Why am I still dealing with this? And it wasn't just, you know, if he had healed me of just the bipolar, mm-hmm. I would still have a low self-esteem. Yeah. So if God starts working on you, it's not, okay, he's just going to heal you of one thing. He's going to make you whole, mm-hmm. you know, and he had to change my view of myself. He had to change my view of my marriage and all of that so that, you know, when I walk out of this, I can say I'm healthier. Mm-hmm. My body's whole. My mind is whole. And you know what? I actually like who I am. <laughs> so... You know, and our, our book journals that it, it is a short book, but it is, you know, it goes back and forth. So you get my husband's view, my view of it um, and just our, our work, our walking that journey together, actually to each other. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's that's what it's been like. You know, um, faith has always uh, well, not always. I came into the faith later on um, in my early 30s, but um it was a big part of my recovery because for me, um, and I say this and before I continue speaking, this is a truly outreach ministry, what I have. Um, it's not proselytizing, but I do encourage the whole asking the question, why you do what you do? Yeah. You know, um, the faith-based approach for me was encouraging because I, I think things out kind of rationally. For, mm-hmm. for me, the one constant, like I said, is change. But when I was reading the text and I was reading it without all the baggage of fear that people try to instill or some sort of, you know, talking point, you know, I asked, you know, God doesn't change. And that was comforting. Just that simple notion, because everything does change relationships, people. I've lost a lot of people. Too short. Life is too short. You know, I was... um, I was leader of my church, so sometimes I'll go to, you know, hospitals and hospice and you begin to see such I'm such a young person and they're like, Oh, you know, you're so young and um with that kind of and I just remember just hearing, um, just noticing like some of the most highly professional people, like in the hospital, on hospice, having less than a week to live or work. And it was never about the title. It was never about what they did or things they owned. It was all about the people around them you know um i think a lot of times there's um you know those who are christian would understand what i'm saying um when we're kids we're always told to give gifts right yeah but we we, when we get older we're really bad at getting gifts you know (laughs) you know what i mean and recovery is kind of humbling because sometimes you need help and you if you're the type of person who doesn't like to get help it gets mm-hmm. problematic um and i think in, in the bible um it did help me on that journey you know i read a lot of job mm-hmm. um ecclesiastes and proverbs and kind of understanding the idea of you know that um things don't always uh, like how what happens externally to us um um will affect of course but it's how we see us, you know, you, you kind of see a car accident and you get a police officer takes, you know, all the 
accounts and they're all very different because people are seeing even though the same accidents we are we our perception and how we look at ourselves and is really important and i'll end with saying on my faith journey was i realized you know you know a lot of people read the prodigal son you know they read or the better yet the good samaritan mm-hmm. very very poignant right now the good samaritan a lot of people emphasize you know everyone walking around them but i always emphasize the question the lawyer asks in the beginning who is my neighbor and i would <laughs> i would recommend that everyone's our neighbor but we sometimes are scared and for me i do not minimize that but that also prompts the question why do you do what you do Mm -hmm. um one of the most scary questions people don't like me asking when i'm like youth come and they want a bible study with me is why do you go to church don't say that because we need them here (laughs) no I want to ask why. And I think in recovery, ask, I have to ask why. One of my closest friends, she struggles with substance use. And I just remember she said, Robert, if every day was just not to drink, what's the point? Like, w- what is that? This feels so empty. There has to be more. So that's the only thing I'm promoting and really put uh, encouraging those who are listening is ask, what is your why? And I'm going to shift it to you, Ruth. What is your why? Why do you do what you do? You know, and I have to think about that because, you know, for the longest time, um, I didn't think I could be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think I could not literally see beyond the depression. You know, mm-hmm. it got to the point where at one point I started idea of idealizing death. And mm-hmm. that's just one step above mm-hmm. suicide. Yeah. And so it was just like, I, I I couldn't see beyond that. And it was just like, okay, you hear about God healing cancer and healing mm. this and healing that. But you know, no one talks about mental illness. No, no one talks. It, it's not a real disease. You know, to mm. pe- most people are like, oh, it's just in your mind. And I want people to stop looking at it like that. Mm-hmm. This is a very real illness. It is, mm. they need, you know, your friends, your family, because, you know, the statistics are one in four. Mm-hmm. So in a group of four, one of them is dealing with mental health yeah. issues. So, you know, I want people to understand that that is very real and that God does heal that. You know, the one scripture that I live by now is First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen, mm-hmm. where he says that there is no affliction that is not common to mankind mm-hmm. and yeah. that God has a way out. And, yeah. you know, for me, I discovered I'm going to have to put in my work. You know, mm-hmm. I will have to change my diet. I'll have to change my mind. Think mm-hmm. about who I am and how I think about myself. But God has a way out. And there's a point beyond the depression. There's a point beyond, you know, there's recovery for that. Mm-hmm. And there's a better place for that. And that's why, you know, that that's why I wrote the book. That's why I speak about this. That I want people to know that there is a better place for that. You know, and we don't have to live with that. Yeah, you know, I always struggle with the idea of stigma because uh, for me, it's it's different for cultures. Let's just be honest. I'm half Puerto Rican, half South Korean. <laughs> What's going on there? So it's different culturally. Um, I think a lot of times, at least from my experience, and I speak for myself, is that it stems from fear. And I'll give you a... a, a so I don't like, for me, like I said, recovery is messy. 
So maybe I'm working with someone who's struggling. I'm coming in late, Ruth. So the family's upset. <laughs> you know what I mean? Family's upset. But the thing is, they could tell me all they want. But I'm advocating for this person. That's my job. Okay. And not only that, that's my job, I feel it's less useful. I do recognize and I tell the person I'm working with, I'm like, you've probably hurt a lot of people along the way. But I'm not here to look at that. I'm looking here. I'm here for present. I'm look, I'm here to see where we go from here. That's it. What And so I, I remember this one time, one of my friends, she, uh, he had a sister who had um, autism, nonverbal all her life. And I think this is the best illustration to kind of share what stigma for me kind of kind of communicates. He, when I was going there, he's like, "Hey, you got you know, she's like this," and all, he was over explaining everything. And we're only gonna see her for like an hour, maybe two. And then me, I pulled back, you know, me being, you know, in recovery and all that stuff. I'm like, "Well, wait, wait, wait." I'm maybe maybe an hour to maybe inconvenience for me if I won't even want to say that in that way. Mm-hmm. While this person lives his whole life, her whole life, right. I, I kind of I, I, the fear that he had this whole urgency to tell me. I kind of speaks volumes of how I see stigma, kind of relate, and it's 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 not always so malicious. Uh, you know, in, in that regard, it just stems from fear and just over explaining. And sometimes we make it so complicated. Why do we care about all this stuff? Because it's our families, it's our friends, mm-hmm. it's our loved ones. And it's so, it's so messy and so different. So, and there's no certainty of one treatment will be fixing all. And I feel Absolutely. sometimes the process itself is so important. Like you said, you know, if God just took away bipolar, too, you miss the opportunity to grow, mm-hmm. and the journey. A lot of times, I, I think is in Spanish is vacilando. I forgot. It's this one word that's not translated any other. I don't speak Spanish that well. My wife does, but I, I English, I guess. But yes, vacilando because... means throw the map away. <laughs> right. Throw everything. Just go. The, the emphasize the journey, not the destination. Yes. yes. And uh, I just want to, this one quote, um, uh, to get your opinion, it says, Leave everything undefined, including yourself. Befriend uncertainty. Fall in love with mystery. Kneel at the altar of not knowing. Give your questions time to breathe, and the answers will find you. This is Jeff Foster. Um, I was just, when I heard this quote, I was like, it's haunting. It's like, it's like I, I don't think anyone... No, at least for me, I wasn't there yet to even put these words together. That's what people say better than I do. Yeah. But at the same time, what comes to mind when you when you see this quote? You know, honestly, it, it's um, and that was one of the things I struggled with. You know, when he talks about befriend uncertainty, kneel at the altar of not knowing. That is the hardest part. Yeah, not knowing, having that I don't know, but being willing to submit yourself to that. That takes mm-hmm. a lot of faith, a lot of trust, you know, and if you can yeah. do that, um, yeah, definitely the answers will find you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> wow, though. 
yeah it, it, you know one of the things that kind of relates especially when i when i read the and not to bring um when i read the new testament i remember there's this one um jesus was they were like hey jesus give us miracles and jesus mm-hmm. like um a man who doesn't receive miracles and still has faith has greater like he, yeah. he emphasizes that and i feel at times um there's so many variables, whether you're faith-based or not, whether you have a different reason for um, your your purpose-driven recovery. There's so many variables, and we have to kind of accept that. Like yes. we can't. There's no true guarantees, but what you have the most control of is how you see everything around you. Absolutely, absolutely, and that is the one thing I can walk away with is that you know what? There are certain things I'm not going to be able to control. I'm not going to mm. be able to control when I cycle, when I do this. But you know what? I can control how I respond to it. Yeah, I can control mm. how I respond to this world and make and, a difference. And I think like when when, when we touched upon stigma, you know, sometimes we kind of urgently say, "Oh." Um, but we build on coping skills. At least, like for me, I do breathing. I do mm-hmm. progressive. Mm-hmm. I do. I, tr- you know, it feels better like to drink a, uh, no, f- uh, fruit veggie smoothie. You know, okay. it feels better. It does, it, it, and it's funny because you know you like it. There's something about it. But that's yeah. and, um, but with all that said, you know, um, remembering your coping skills, remembering what worked. And being okay to do it. I yes. tell my wife, I'm having, what, a panic attack. So what do I have to do? I have to mm-hmm. focus my breathing. I have to give myself time. This world is keep getting more and more busy. Yes. We're, we're, our value is hinged on how busy we are. And for me, um, I think sometimes we just need to slow down. Mm-hmm. And slow down doesn't mean we do nothing actively is intentionally leaving things incomplete that bothers me so much i i i hate leaving things incomplete but sometimes we gotta give ourselves room and that i feel for me has been very helpful ruth yes any final thoughts as we wrap up thank you so much for sharing (laughs) and listen for those listening today oh you're welcome um final thoughts don't let anybody tell you what's possible or impossible you Mm. know like I said, you know, if you'd have asked me 10 years ago, if this place that I'm at, it was possible, I would have told you no, you know, and I share this in the book, but my first uh, doctor, um, our first appointment, the first thing he told me was, there's no cure for this. So you just yeah. gotta learn how to deal with it. And, you know, I think he was being, he was right, but mm-hmm. his bedside manner sucked. Yeah. Uh, you know, excuse me, but yeah. it, it was just, it, cause it, I was not in the place to hear that. And I was being told, okay, this is impossible, so just learn to deal with it. And I learned that that was not true. So, you know, I, I, I feel like I wasted time, but, you know, if you can just get, let, if you can come to the point where you learn what's possible and what's not, you know, what's impossible for you, mm-hmm. you know, you can get past that thing, you know. So don't let anybody tell you what's impossible because with God, all things are possible. Yeah. And I think a lot of times um, we put our value in things and other things and titles and only yeah. if statements. Um, if there was only if statements that that really made me valuable, I lost it years ago. Right. <laughs> but I feel in reality, we we um, it's when we allow to be not so 
easy to put our value in something in like that put our eggs in all in one basket and that's an old phrase but really understanding that value is something that looks different for everyone yes. but at the same time um understand the world keeps changing mm-hmm. people keeps changing and albert einstein said this way intelligence is the ability to adapt to change that's it. for me i think the adaptability those who in recovery those we learn it we're forced to learn it and i feel at times that could be our strength uh for me what my why is as we close was helping people became my healing yes (laughs) and um serving serving others became my recovery people used to ask me especially in the when i was really you know hospital hospital well when i came i was still you know not doing well i was living with my father and, and all that stuff they're like well you're older you know you're supposed to you're supposed to you're supposed to yeah but for me I, I i was looking at what i needed to do for myself and to get myself ready and i feel here i am married doing well yeah. and for me it was it was it was not bitterness on my family i would say this all the time with my family i can never pay them back and that's okay for a first generation american that's horrible to say but it is one of the things that i feel i was able to do i want to say thank you ruth for sharing your insight today i want to share with those who are listening watching that there's various platforms that you can watch um to get keep updated with rob mysteries the website is the most um connected but it's revivemysteriesfl.com i'm going to leave you with this last quote and and it reads our most basic instinct is not for survival but for family Revive Ministries wants to say that despite the challenging times we live in today we're extremely grateful for all the inspiring stories of hope shared last year Revive Ministry has ambitious goals for the future we plan to have a more structured monthly theme and engaging topics that we ex- we are extremely excited about 92 episodes in in just over a year and more already scheduled to be uploaded your help would be much appreciated look at the details of the episode to find out more and as always stay safe and thank you for listening